to the 323rd episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney, and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Welcome, and thank you for listening. Next up on my event calendar is the Odyssey Swim Run in Austin, Texas. So that's getting exciting, first weekend in November. So I've been going to the pool twice a week and actually enjoying it. You know, usually I have to talk myself into getting ready to get up to go to the pool. Something about getting in the water in the morning is just difficult for me. But, you know, I've said before, we have a nice new pool, got a big lane to myself, and um, been really enjoying it. So I've been uh, getting somewhere around 2,200 yards twice a weekend. So that's a lot better than the last year's swim run preparation, where I think I might have got 1,000 yards training total because of COVID. So we should have a little jump on swim endurance, um, I'm hoping. Um, I think we have that bungee thing figured out a little bit better this year because we have to tether ourselves together. So we're going to shorten that up a little bit. Um, so hopefully we'll knock a little little time off our uh, race time and get things uh, a little bit uh, down a little bit more. I'm going to unzip the wetsuit this year so I can uh, breathe while I'm running. That might be a good thing. So hopefully we'll have the buoys attached to ourselves a little bit better so that doesn't fall off. And so, yeah, I think that we, you know, we probably can get a good 15 minutes anyway, just correcting our silly mistakes from last year. But, you know, who knows? I'm always capable of doing something silly. So uh, it's a rocky, hilly course. So the idea is to finish it and feel well because the California International Marathon is just about a month, six weeks after that. So I want to be able to... uh, have a good road marathon performance. So all that's going good. Um, You know, running on the days that I don't um, swim. Also, I'm participating in the Sorenext Squattober. Not officially. Um, I'm uh, lurking, stalking uh, the Squattober, so to speak, on Instagram. So if you want to go over there and join and check that out, um, I'll leave a reference in the in the uh, show notes, but uh, each day there is a weight workout that involves some form of squats and some, uh, you know, different weights. And so I've been doing that a little lighter on the weights because I don't want to get to the point where I have trouble uh, running or soreness, but my legs feel pretty good. So I think that that's really going to be helpful. I'm again, I'm going to hope that's going to help my running in the heel, the hills of uh, Austin. So I've been doing that uh, five days a week. So who knows? Who knows? Hopefully it'll be good. Backyard, you know, we're coming into garden season down in Florida. I've got a few spaghetti squash up. My herbs are still going. Got some lettuce in the tower garden going. Um, A couple papaya trees have papayas on them. Otherwise, things are, um, you know, kind of slow to get started. But we're, we're getting ready to put it in. We did a new raised bed, so... Um, hopefully we'll get some vegetables going pretty soon, some peppers and tomatoes and, uh, maybe some Swiss chard. So that's about it. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit today. Um, it's kind of funny because things always happen for a reason and happen somewhat in a timely fashion, but I was talking, uh, to someone and, you know, we talk about running or gardening or whatever, you know, small talk. And I was told that, you know, well, I can't do any of that because I have two bad knees and two bad hips from playing sports. 
And I would say the person's probably in their 70s. And I hear that often, you know, I hear it in the doctor's lounge, I can't run because I've got bad knees, or you better not run because you're going to get bad knees. And, um, you know, I had an old injury in high school that blew out my quad, I blew out my knee. And, you know, I, I got to thinking a little bit after I had that conversation, you know, I started running distance, you know, more than three miles when I was 40. My first marathon was when I was around 40. And my, my knees are fine, you know, other than when I have the occasional tumble and, you know, get a bruise or something, my, my knees are fine. And so I am been running 20 years almost and well, 20 years of marathons. And again, my knees are fine. I've never blown out a knee and I've never blown out a quad or pulled a hamstring. Uh, you might say, well, I don't run fast enough, and that's possible, but uh, nevertheless, I've been on the roads and fallen down and tripped and all this other kind of stuff enough that uh, if your knees were going to go, they probably should go if it was a result of exercise. And then if you look at high school sports, obviously, most people play high school sports maybe four years, and you know, people that are really, really good might play a good two years, three years, right? That are playing football, I guess, would be the one that would cause the most damage to your knees potentially. Or, you know, I mean, I've never really heard a soccer player say they blew out their knees playing soccer. You know, you can say that basketball and football are the ones that um, tend to, the people that played basketball or football are tend to the ones that, you know, have the complaints of bad knees. And, um, jumping in basketball and lateral movements and being hit in football are a potential cause of injuries. You know, a lot of times I think young people grow too quickly and that's a risk for tendons such as, um, you know, the muscles are growing faster than the tendons. So the ACL tears and, um, you know, things, other tendon injuries and cartilage injuries, um, can occur, um, because of, you know, um, underdevelopment of muscles and um, the stress people are put on them. But, you know, permanent damage, you know, the, anybody that I know that have had injuries while they were in high school, the injuries seem to go away while they're in high school. Um, it's only when they're 50, 60, 70 do they complain about their high school football injuries or their basketball injuries. So it's, you know, it's like, you're looking for something or that's why, you know, your, your, your knees may hurt or, um, you know, you're looking to see what could have possibly caused all this discomfort. But there was a recent study just published and they actually looked at the percentage of people in the United States. And this is a CDC report um, that looks at prevention, morbidity, and mortality weekly and looked at 43.9% of United States adults complain of limiting arthritis. 18 and older, 58.5 million people. And there is a condition that they call arthritis attributable activity limitation, A-A-A-L. And... 43.9% of those people, 25.7 million, have that diagnosis. 50% of those over 65 are unable to work or considered disabled. 51% are consider themselves in poor or fair health compared to joints and have had joint symptoms in the last 30 days. 
55% have a marked decrease in being able to do activities of daily living, you know, so carrying groceries, taking care of the house, and so forth. That is increased from 54.4 million in 2013 to 2015 to 58.5 million 2016 to 2018. Um, of those people, 23.2 of uh, percentage have a normal body mass index. Um, 29.4 are overweight, and 47.5 are considered obese by body mass index. So obviously, if you have arthritis, it makes exercising more difficult, and people tend to put on weight. But there's also the other way around that when you're overweight, it's also difficult to exercise, and you have more inflammation, and you have more stress on your joints. So Regardless of how you want to think about it, it's somewhat of a double whammy. Um, being overweight is hard on your joints. And we know now, compared to what we used to think, that arthritis uh, that was osteoarthritis or, or arthritis of overuse was non-inflammatory, and then autoimmune diseases were inflammatory arthritis. And we know that's not the case anymore, that even osteoarthritis is largely inflammatory, and even though the bone destruction or tendon destruction or calcification can look different, if you eliminate the inflammation, you do a lot to reverse people's pain. And of course, you know, if it hurts, nobody wants to exercise, and when you don't exercise, then you lose muscle mass, and then the joints mobility and the joint articulations become worse and the pain becomes worse and it's a vicious cycle. So, you know, you hear it all the time, I hurt my shoulder, now I don't exercise, put on weight, hurt my knee, um, you know, I don't exercise, I have a bad back, I can't, I can't exercise. But when people stop exercising, they never get cured. So it's never fixed. It becomes a chronic condition. And my colleagues um, tend to take hope away in the diagnosis of arthritis and joint ailments, just like they take hope away in most every other disease process. Um, stop what you're doing. Don't do anything. You're broken. Can't be fixed. Here, take this pain medication. End of story. Here's a brace. We can do some surgery, but you're always going to be in pain. You're going to need a joint replacement. We might as well do it now. Not too many people with joint replacements ever come back to um, exercise at their full capability. Not that many people that have joint replacements ever get full range of motion. They're told they can't or be careful. You'll throw your, you know, if it's a hip, you'll dislocate it. If it's a knee, you'll wear out the cement. So... People are given a diagnosis. They're giving pain medications that have a tremendous amount of side effects. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medications are the best to take joint pain and muscular pain away, bone pain away. However, they come with the side effect of increased risk of tendon rupture. So if you are having knee pain and you go out and play a sport, you are more likely to, to rupture a tendon and have a worse injury. Um, 
They are associated with kidney disease and kidney failure uh, in particular people. Certainly athletes, an endurance athlete that take Motrin on these long endurance runs are significant risk for um, even permanent kidney damage or hyponatremia, which can be lethal. So it is advised never to take a non steroidal anti-inflammatory drug during an endurance event, during which time you may become dehydrated or take in excess of water and become hyponatremic or go into kidney failure. At best, if you're having pain during an endurance uh, event, a Tylenol might be in your, you know, in your in your wheelhouse. But uh, non-steroidals, no. Um, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs are associated with um, bleeding, particularly gastric ulcers, um, duodenal ulcers, but also col- bleeding from the colon. Um, people that do endurance events and take non-steroidal inflammatory drugs can have um, colon bleeding. They also decrease the production of nitric oxide, which is exactly what we want. So um, people that do endurance events and take non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs may be at more of a risk of cardiovascular disease um, anytime you take non-steroidals, any kind of them, you're at increased risk. Some of them have been pulled from the market because of increased risk of heart attack, arrhythmia, or cardiomyopathy. But all of them carry that potential. So that's not a solution to the problem. It does not reverse the damage. It doesn't reverse the inflammation that cures one of uh, the problem of the joint. Certainly, muscle relaxers aren't the answer. Um, They block pain. And, you know, um, I had a very intelligent member say, you know, I don't want to take pain medications because that's my body telling me something is not right. And that is true. So if you're having pain to the point that you can't do something, you need to address why you can't do it as opposed to covering up the symptoms so that you can go on. Uh, It's one thing if you haven't, you know, you're up for an Olympic gold medal and you're, you know, you have some pain, you know, you might say, okay, the risk outweigh the benefit or the benefits outweigh the risk. But for most of us mortal weekend amateur athletes, um, no, you're going to do more damage than good. Certainly opioids, um, again, don't reverse the pain. They block the, the, the body's or the brain's ability to perceive pain. They're very addictive. They cause, um, um, you know, uh, decrease in gut motility, lead to constipation, can lead to diverticulitis. So there's a whole host of side effects. So, um, you know, that high school football injury or basketball injury, I'm being facetious, that rears its ugly head when you're overweight and 40 years old, is not going to be cured with Motrin or opioids or muscle relaxers. Um, it's probably not going to be cured with a knee brace or the, the copper thing that they sell on TV. If you have a um, part of your body that is weak and you put a brace on it, uh, it's going to become weaker. Just like when you go to the running store and, you know, you get the uh, new and latest and greatest highly cushioned running shoes and then they take you straight over to the insole uh, department and tell you that you need to buy these fancy insoles to keep your high arches high or your low arches in line. 
um, or protect your Achilles. We've all, anybody that does running or endurance athlete, have probably all been down this road that you get a running injury and you want to keep running, so you go buy the fancy insoles to try to get back, you know, to get the Achilles or the plantar fasciitis to settle down. But what you're really doing is taking your feet and crunching them, putting them in a mold and causing further destruction of the muscles of your feet, uh, further deformities of the bones and the little bones of your feet. So that's not the answer. Um, so it comes, you know, it comes time to do something a little bit different. Um, you know, I was, if the, you know, nobody really turns the TV off if something bad comes on. They find a different channel. So when it comes to your joint pain and your knee pain, and your foot pain, your back pain, and your hip pain, we need to find a different solution. Um, there's no replacement part that's ever been as good as the original part. Um, you know, I didn't talk about plasma cell therapy, you know, to try to get you to heal a little bit better. You know, potentially there may be something there as far as anti-inflammatory, but for the most part, um, what we're after is decreasing inflammation the old-fashioned way. And what causes inflammation? It comes back to your nutrition. So when you change the nutrition and then you start to address what is causing, what actually is causing the problem, then all of a sudden it goes away. Most of the time, I've talked before, when people have knee pain, you know, you look north, could it be the hips, could it be the quads, could it be the hamstrings, is it muscular weaknesses or imbalance, physical therapy person can often help with, with those, mobility, with ball release techniques, there's a whole host of things that can be done on that front, but again, it comes down to getting the inflammation uh, out, of, out of your diet, and a low inflammatory diet is not like a, um, a, a diet that improves autoimmune disease. It's not unlike a diet that improves heart disease. It's not unlike a diet that, you know, reverses cancer or decreases the um, recurrence of cancer. Uh, it's a plant-based, whole food, low-oil diet, low-processed food, less toxins, because if you're taking in heavy metal, processed foods, other all other kind of chemicals, um, as well as oils that are very inflammatory, your immune response, your gut microbiome, uh, it's going to cause more joint pain. Obviously, if you're carrying a lot of extra weight, that's going to be hard on, on your joints um, and cause muscle imbalances and decrease mobility and lead to more inflammation. So normalizing body mass index and eating a, a plant-based diet uh, will go a long way to cure any injury that occurred in high school sports. But people really don't want to hear that most of the time. They, you know, again, rather just kind of stop exercising. And if you don't make it, because it kind of hurts to rehab unless you really want to. Um, but, you know, I had a conversation with somebody today and it's like, there's always hope. I, I'm really disappointed in, in my profession as far as, you know, the more I look, the more naysayers that there are. There's always hope that things can can get better. Um, I've seen it at every age. You know, I've I've seen it. You know, all the way into the 90s when people get better. It's amazing what posture and can do, what yoga can do, what you know, mobility training and strength training can do. But doing nothing will definitely definitely make it worse. I think 
you know, mentally, I had a conversation with somebody today, you know, and most of all of this, there is a bit of a mindset to it. You know, I can't uh, do it because I have chronic pain and illness because I had an injury in high school uh, or didn't have an injury in high school, but something reared its ugly head. Um, I'm not a runner. Um, so I can't run. I've never been able to run. My knees always hurt when I run. Well, maybe that's the way you're running or what kind of shoes you're running in, or you try to run too fast or you try to run too much. So I think replacing it with, I am, um, you know, I, I can, uh, is, is a much better way to get to action. The hope I think is associated with an action to change thing. Hope that you can get better by doing something. Um, I heard somebody say today that, you know, the things that we like the most, the things that we're most proud of, the things that we desire the most are associated with the most stress um, and are typically the most difficult. Um, you know, the th- you know, we, um, there's always stress involved in things we really want. So, um, it doesn't really stop us. On the other hand, things that we don't need, we kind of shy away from. I think being inside from COVID and these lockdowns is really exacerbated. I, a lot of people have gained weight because of it, because they're not, um, they're, they're eating in, they're depressed, they're eating more processed foods, and they're, and they're not getting the exercise that they, they got before to try to uh, keep, keep their weight off. So I think people need to set challenges. Um, you know, uh, we have people running the Treasure Coast Marathon in, in the spring here in uh, Florida. It's in Stewart, Florida. You can look that up if you'd like to join us. But we have people in a variety of different age groups. You need to sign up for something. We have people that sign up for 10Ks, 5Ks, sign up to do a century bike ride. You know, commit to doing something. When I first moved to Florida, I didn't know what to do because I always vacation going south. And now that I'm south, what do I do? So I, you know, if I go, if I use marathon running as a way to force myself to take a vacation and it's a, I committed to do that. So I, you know, I was in a training program and you have so many weeks from when you sign up to back off and, you know, okay, I'm, um, six weeks out or 12 weeks out, typically for a marathon training program, if you're active at all, you can pull one off in 16 weeks. Um, and then you might want to keep yourself in fairly decent shape. And then, you know, you, you can be kind of half marathon ready. Um, but you, you know, once you've, once you've gotten to that kind of shape, it's life changing the other way. All of a sudden you are, and you want to stay that way, or you're, you're, you know, you have a goal in mind, or you want to go do something, then, then you have something to train for. Turning the tides a little bit with toxic exposure and decreasing metabolic rate, there was a recent study looking at phthalates and uh, all-cause mortality. And uh, there was a population-based study, uh, and this was published in Environmental Pollution Journal, um, phthalate exposure was associated with all-cause and cardiovascular mortality. And this was looking at, uh, in the population of 55 to 64-year-olds, um, they attributed greater than 90,000 deaths perhaps per year attributed to increased um, ingestion of uh, phthalates. So what are these phthalates? Um, they are chemicals that have endocrine type, uh, they're endocrine modulators. And 
people who uh, eat out get a greater than 35% greater exposure. They are found in their, you know, in the plastic industry. So they're associated with, um, you know, plastic bags, plastic packaging. So um, food that comes in plastic containers, heating, uh, heating these plastic products increase the risk. Um, animal-based foods uh, tend to absorb these more so. Canned products uh, that aren't BPA-free have uh, more phthalates. But all the plastic type of um, you know, pesticides also contain phthalates. So if you don't eat organic, you're getting more. Um, if you heat, you extract more. Processed few foods, because there are a variety of different foods and chemicals, tend to have more soft drinks, mineral water, um, you know, things like nail polish and, and a, a variety of different things um, can increase your exposure. Even clothes and carpets and any kind of plastic things can potentially uh, increase exposure. So, you know, toxic exposure is one of the things that, you know, we, we can, it's, it's hard to live in a world without plastics. If you go to the grocery store and you can avoid buying things in plastic, uh, it's always best. Certainly, you don't want to ever heat anything up in pla- in the plastic container. Um, you don't want to microwave with the plastic on the outside. Um, plastic bottles, you know, if you can do a filtration system for your water as opposed to bringing in tons of plastic bottles, it's, it's better. So it's better for you and better for the environment. If you can shop in um, farmer's markets and produce stores that have loose vegetables, you're better off than vegetables that are already packaged, you know, somewhere in the plastic and transported uh, in the plastic bags. You know, loose kale is better than the one in the plastic bag if you can, you know, you can get that because, you know, again, there's this transportation types and obviously eating locally, um, you have a better chance to decrease uh, your phthalate exposure. Um, you know, of the things, uh, rice noodles, rice and noodles and burgers and burritos tend to have a higher accumulation of it. Um, you know, and again, just eating, you know, people that are always eating from plastic containers are going to have a higher exposure. So if you have cancer or trying to prevent cancer, that's one, you know, one area that you can look to, to try to decrease your consumption is very unfortunate because there's so many things that come in those plastic containers. It's hard to find things that are loose a lot of times in the grocery store. You know, there's certain vegetables that are just in those containers. Again, a little bit of a backyard gardening if you can. You know, again, locally, it's about the best you can do. The last thing I wanted to kind of review is glutathione. Um, There is a, a lot of discussion as far as even in the immune uh, world, I saw, you know, everybody kind of twists things their own direction a little bit, but glutathione is a tripeptide, meaning there's three amino acids. Our body can make them. Um, glutathione is involved in oxidative stress, uh, metabolic waste detoxification. It is helpful in our immune system and uh, um, potentiating our immune system. Uh, it works both at a neuron level and a mitochondrial level. It's related, decreased levels are related to some cancers. Um, it is used by our liver to uh, help excrete things, heavy metals like mercury and dietary pollutants like uh, phthalates. Um, 
but it can also be um, too much of it uh, can also cause it to turn to a pro-oxidant. So you want enough of it, but not too much of it. Supplementation has uh, been shown to increase natural killer cells, which are good for the immune system, good as an anti-cancer. Uh, there have been a few studies looking at endothelial cells and cardiovascular health as improvement. Uh, there's been some small studies looking at Parkinson's disease and from a neurological standpoint. So, you know, before you run out and, you know, buy it, um, the other thing that happens um, as we get older, it tends to, our body's ability to make it tends to go down. The less acid we produce in our stomach, um, it tends to, the production uh, tends to, or the uh, bioavailability tends to go down. So it's kind of interesting people that are placed on proton pump inhibitors to protect them stomach and decrease um, acid production in their stomach are also going to have uh, potentially uh, lower glutathione activity. But there are a whole host of things that uh, you can do and eat. Um, certainly omega-3 fatty acids in the form of flaxseed, hemp seeds, um, from a, um, chia seeds, walnuts, kale, beans um, are all uh, associated with uh, improved uh, glutathione, taking zinc, uh, making sure you're getting adequate zinc in your diet and selenium. Um, obviously, um, plant-based eaters drip it in a lot through a lot of different um, foods. Amino acids, um, you know, that's one thing when plant, uh, plant-based plant people always get nixed on as having a lower protein diet, but as long as you have an adequate calorie intake, you're um, most likely getting enough proteins, especially when you're getting you know, good sources of protein, beans, grains, and so forth, and your albumin level is normal. Uh, we check that on a routine basis in people, um, you know, so when, when your blood tests look normal, um, then you're probably okay. We see when people are ill, their albumin falls. We know they have a deficiency at that point, so that's when we're trying to supplement them. Getting good vitamin uh, B vitamins, vitamin C, on the vegetable front, cruciferous vegetables, uh, particularly, you know, you can enhance uh, their activity with mustard, mustard seeds, uh, but fruit and vegetables are uh, an excellent source, particularly um, two of the highest, asparagus and avocado. Avocados, you know, obviously uh, increase fat, but half avocado a day is, is a good way around that. Cucumbers, uh, you know, the poor lonely cucumber uh, doesn't get enough credit, but uh, it's a good source of glutathione. Green beans, you know, we always say green beans aren't greens. They're not big nitric oxide producers, but they're going to be good glutathione producers. Uh, in the fruit, the biggest um, uh, players are citrus fruit, but specifically um, fruits such as papaya and mango, and then peppers, red peppers especially. So if you think things of color, orange, um, you know, very, very good. So those are really good sources to uh, add to your diet. You know, also things, again, uh, if you go back to the onion family are, are good uh, potentiators of the action uh, and good sources of B vitamins are your whole grains. So, you know, you can do quite well on a plant-based diet. And when, it, you know, when it all comes down to it, whether it's uh, improving your glutathione uh, production that helps your what your immune system and and helps your mitochondrial function or it is you know decreasing the inflammation in your joints by decreasing uh 
oils, processed oils in your diet and, you know, fried foods and animal-based products and omega-6s that are very inflammatory, or you're decreasing chemical exposure by decreasing phthalates uh, in, uh, you know, uh, chemicals that you're exposed to in plastics. You know, there's a whole um, array of things that we can do to help ourselves, um, and then it comes down to keeping your body active and, and moving. Um, if the door has some rust on it and you never open it up, chances are the door is going to freeze. So if your shoulder hurts and you don't move it because it hurts, um, chances are it's going to freeze. Same way with your knees, same way with your hips. So saying I can't, I won't, I was told I never will be able to is not really a good option. So I hope that you know, a few of the things I've said and linked together here today will spur you to have hope, uh, to spur you to, uh, you know, keep trying and push ahead and embrace some of the discomfort, embrace some of the stress and associate it with new things, perhaps um, take a new challenge, uh, sign up for something. In our practice, we have wellness challenges every month. We have, you know, accountability text with our uh, resident dietitian, uh, exercise guru, Addie Delaney Minerich. So uh, we want to get people involved in, in moving. We do movement assessments. Uh, we have yoga in the office. If you're interested in being part of our practice, uh, go on over to drdelaney.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-U-L-A-N-E-Y. You can be a member from far away and um, uh, still take uh, um, take in some of the benefits of our movement, our challenges, our Zoom nutrition classes. So there's a lot you can do even if you aren't in town. Um, people have asked me about, you know, will I do a, uh, what I do a week where people come and stay and we have an intensive uh, week of um, training and nutrition courses. And I've thought about it. We, we thought about doing it prior to COVID. We had it scheduled and then we, you know, we had to cancel it. It's, um, somewhat mixed thought for me. You know, if I had some feedback and people really wanted to come, I'd think about putting it back on the on the books. But, you know, there's a part of me that we take you out of your stressful environment or, or we take you away from your family that try to derail you or take you and feed you and um, inundate you with information and it makes it all sound great. But then when you leave the bubble, um, the green bubble of health, um, you know, can you go back into your environment? So sometimes I think learning in the fire of the environment that you're living in is just as important. That's why Eddie and I like to kind of tag team people. We like to talk to people every couple of weeks so that we keep information coming. We, um, you can sign up for our newsletter free. Um, again, you can go over to drdelaney.com and we send a newsletter out with recipes and uh, extras and what's going on with the practice. We've been trying to do a webinar every month. So I think that keeping yourself, um, keep getting information, setting goals for yourself while you're living in the fire of your um, regular life is probably the best bet. Um, you just have to put your, you, you know, maybe organize your wants uh, a little bit uh, to put your health health ahead of some other things. So we'd love to help you in that. It's not always easy. It's never easy for, for the most part, but I think that um, there's a tremendous amount to gain from whatever age that you are. And it's just being open to some change and, um, you know, keeping your feet to the fire and, and keep pushing forward. So 
I've hope you enjoyed today. I, you know, if you have one of those old injuries, I hope you didn't take too much of offense um, that I'm going to tell you that uh, I'm not buying it. I think that there's a lot you can still do and still accomplish. So don't sell yourself short no matter what age you are. Um, and I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening.